Well, that's good. Welcome to Broad Street Hockey Presents Yelling About Sports. My name is Bill Matz. I am your director of fun and games for the evening, and this evening we're doing things a little bit differently. I haven't done a solo show in so long uh, that I figured I would just throw one together, see what happens tonight. Uh, there's a bunch of, there's a couple of things really that have been uh, been going on on Twitter, on sports radio these past couple of days, past couple of weeks, and I just wanted to comment on some of them. Uh, and I, you know, during the season, you guys, a lot of you at least listen to my post games and uh, watch them live. And uh, I do solo shows and get a chance to vent and talk, uh, talk without, you know, being told how wrong I am by the rest of the panel. And I just haven't had that opportunity in a little while, so I figured why not take that chance right now? Uh, you know, a lot has been going on uh, for a couple, well, really the last two weeks, uh, I haven't been doing uh, quite as much of the content as I had been prior during this quarantine. Uh, we're going to keep things going here. I know Kelly and Charlie did an episode of Charlie's uh, Other Stuff show. Uh, BSH Radio on Wednesday went really well. It was over an hour. Hope you really enjoyed it. But let's uh, let's yell it myself. Let's, let's do yelling about sports with just one guy. I think the thing I want to start with is the thing I'm still getting tweets about. I'm still getting my friends calling me a jackass about. Uh, so I just wanted to explain further my explanation of not wanting the to win the Stanley Cup this year. Uh, and it's really the, not wanting the Flyers to win the Stanley Cup this year. Now, obviously, when if and when the NHL comes back and the Flyers are playing, it's not like I'm going to be rooting against them. When, when a Flyer takes a shot, I want it to go in the net. And when the other team takes a shot, I hope it hits Carter Hart and stays out of the net. So it's not like... I'm actively rooting against them, but man, I'll get into it. All right, so I just want to—I just want to start off with the nights that the Phils and Eagles won their championships uh, were two of, if not the single two greatest nights of my life. Most fun, uh, just all my friends around. Uh, if it can't be like that for the Flyers, which you know, this is my number one team. I built my career around this team, my fandom. I played hockey growing up. I fucking love the Flyers. Um, if it can't be like that for the Flyers, I, I just don't want it as badly. Um, I, you know, I want to pile into my buddy's house uh, down on Oregon and uh, with, with twenty of my closest friends. I want to record a podcast out on Broad uh, amidst all the anarchy. I want to hurt myself. Climbing something that I can't obviously climb. Um, listen, and this is all, you know, the idea, oh, well, I've never seen a Stanley Cup before, but I'd pass on it this year. I'm just like, if all things being equal, I, I'm, just, I'm just not into it. Listen, I'll be happy to see my favorite team playing hockey and winning. Like I said, if Claude Giroux takes a shot, I want it to go in the net. Um, and I will be ecstatic for Claude Giroux if they were to accomplish it this year. Honestly, one of the things that actually makes me think it might be worth it uh, is it'll be fun to hear Penguins and Rangers fans crying about how this one doesn't really count because of the circumstances. They'll be trying to put a little asterisk next to it. it that'll be fun to hear them, you know, really, really care. Uh, <laughs> for them to hate how much, like, they will hate it more than I will enjoy it. I think that will, that, that kind of balances it out a little. That's the one thing that really kind of makes me want it. Um, but man, like, yeah, you know... It, 
the night of the when you win the championship, when your team that you're rooting for wins the championship in the city they represent, and then the parade a day or two or however long later, that's what makes everything, uh, every part of fandom worth it. Uh, all the times you've been close and just had your heart ripped out. All the times you toasted to next season just in hopes that it'll be a little bit better. All the times you've thrown your phone against the wall or drank yourself into oblivion because of this stupid fucking team. You get to release it in those precious days, those glorious days. Uh, you know, I think it's dumb when people loot shit and purposefully destroy a window or set a car on fire during a sports celebration. You take it way too far, and then you try to ruin it for everybody. Um, but the atmosphere of sheer, unfiltered joy in 95% of those crowds is it's just a feeling you can't replicate in in the age of you know social distancing and what w- will, we, will we be even allowed out on the streets at that point what will it's just ugh i hate to think of not being able to get it like man those two parades in the 70s i think if i had a time machine and maybe if woodstock was off the table uh like if i was alex winter and bill and ted and kiana is trying to get me you know, to go back in time so we can ace our history report, I'd be like, nah, dog, I'm going to Philadelphia in May of 74. I might not come back. You know, I'd have to work on my mustache for a little bit, but I think I got it going. If, like, we were to do it right now, I think I could shave a pretty good mustache and fit in in that crowd. Uh, like, I just, I would hate to miss out on that opportunity to finally really get to celebrate and really enjoy my favorite team's first championship of my lifetime, breaking a whatever 45-year drought or whatever. And I know uh, when you talk about statistics and prob- probability, um, the event occurring doesn't mean the event won't occur again the next time. The odds remain the same. Uh, you know, that's how they get you on roulette boards. You're like, three straight reds, black as due, and the odds are not anymore in your favor. Um, I think, I don't actually know, someone in a casino tried to explain it to me before I put $100 on black once, uh, just to show him up, I did it again, I sometimes really think about what else I could have done with that $200, other than, um, you know, give it to the Tropicana for nothing, but regardless, I know mathematically speaking, the Flyers winning, and again, hypothetical, and this is so far down the line, like we don't even know still if there's going to be a season, although it's looking it's looking like there will be. Uh, I know mathematically speaking, the Flyers winning this 2020 Stanley Cup does not lower their odds of winning the next year, or two years from now, or three, or three in a row. Whatever, they could win all of them, they'll probably win none of them, statistically speaking. But I don't want to risk this only Stanley Cup I ever getting... I, the only one I ever get to see, potentially, is this one. The one that will ever be remembered as the parade that wasn't, you know? Uh, so now, I guess, you get to the deeper question. If I only expect one, which is what I expect out of all my teams in my lifetime, one championship, if they deliver more than that, awesome. But at this point, I'm 30, and I've seen half of the four major teams win one championship apiece. So, I, you know. If I can get one out of all the teams, and maybe, you know, the Sixers don't get one and the Flyers get two. I think I could live with that. Uh, but the deeper question, if I only expect one, and this is the year with the best chance, um, you know, it probably won't be, but it very well could be. Uh, am I saying I'd rather never do it than do it this year? Shit. 
I seem to have disproven myself. I have devil's advocated myself into a corner from which I cannot escape. Uh, I'll take a championship under any circumstance. I love my team. I freaking love the Philadelphia Flyers so goddamn much. But if you're giving me a choice, just let let me get it next year, bro. Thank you, Gordy Howe, and amen. Uh, yeah, I, you know, it's... Man, I, I just think... I think back to those nights with the Eagles and the Phillies and all the times the teams lost when we thought we were going to get, you know, to have that have that celebration out in the street, the night of the winning, then the day of the parade, and it just never happened for whatever, for whatever heartbreaking reason. <sighs> I would hate for it to happen, and then we still don't get to do it. Like, that's the, that, like I said, that's the release. That's the best part of it. Uh, you know, I'm not on the team as much as I say we and us. I'm, I'm not actually on the team. I'm just a guy with a podcast who freaking loves them. Um, I, I don't get to lift the cup. My celebration is running out to Broad Street and acting a fool with a million other, you know, drunk lunatics. And I don't think that's too much to ask. And if I can't do that, it just doesn't seem as good. So uh, speaking of, you know, former championship teams in this city, uh, something was going on on uh, sports radio WIP over the last week or two where they're settling, they're doing something called Once and for All. I think it's a pretty cool idea where since there are no live sports, unless you're talking, you know, Korean baseball or darts or whatever the hell else is going on. I think there's uh, some Belarusian soccer still. Uh, but since there's no actual live sports, they've been, like, settling the long-time debates. And the one that really stuck out to me, uh, like, I have no interest in Wentz Foles. I think it's just a dumb conversation. Like, what's the point of the conversation? There isn't one. Uh, most people are able to, like, contextualize it all. Like, you know, Nick Foles, I will love forever no matter what. I think I tweeted the other day, I think I tweeted, I know I tweeted this the other day, like, Nick Foles could walk up to me and punch me in the face and we'd still be cool. You know, he, I will love him forever. Um, but if the question is, who do I want to be the quarterback from now for the next five, six years, at least, uh, the answer is Carson Wentz. I think Wentz has a better chance of getting to Foles' status than Foles does of repeating that magical run. Uh, so, and I think most people like under, are, are able to separate the two arguments and like, why do we have to choose? This is a good problem. We got our championship. That was awesome. And we have a franchise quarterback here still. So like that, that part of it. And I, I say I'm sick of it and I go on for five minutes about it. But the one that really stuck out to me, the once and for all debate, um, was the most important Philly of, you know, the 2008 run, the MVP of, uh, of those teams, those 07 to 2011 teams. Uh, and it was the, the question really pertained to Ryan Howard. And was Ryan Howard the big piece, the most important piece? Uh, and I just wanted to look at a couple of numbers about Ryan Howard real quick. Um, the Phillies played in, uh, from 07 to 2011, they played 10 playoff series. Uh, they won six of them totaled 26 games in those six series. They lost four of those series, totaled 20 games in those four series. In the six series that the Phillies won, Ryan Howard hit 298 with five home runs, 13 extra base hits, 23 RBI, 29 strikeout, 20 walks. In the four series that the Phillies lost, he hit 211, three home runs, nine extra base hits, 10 RBI, 38 strikeouts, 
six walks. It's pretty clear that when Ryan Howard hit, they won. Now, yeah, there are a lot of other great players in this team. Listen, Chase Utley's my favorite everything. I say this all the time, but who's my favorite, you know, president of the United States ever? Oh, it's Chase Utley. Who is my favorite British Invasion rock band? Oh, it's, it's Chase Utley, without a doubt. Um, he, I, I love him. I'll wear his jersey forever. He's, he is the man. Um, but I look at a couple of times, Utley hit real well, and it didn't really matter. Uh, Utley put up a 12.59 OPS in the 2011 NLDS. They lose it in five. Uh, from the 08-09 postseason, uh, from the 08 to the 09 postseason, the Phillies won five straight series. Utley hit 2.53 with an 8.43 OPS. He drove in less than half a run per game. That was the magical run right there from from the start of 08 through the N, uh, 2009 NLCS. He was, he was average. He had 253, 843 OPS. Okay. Um, then we remember the 09 World Series. He had the amazing series. He hit uh, four of his five home runs in games one and five. Uh, those three straight losses in between, though, he went two for 11 with, an in, with one intentional walk. His two hits were both for extra bases, but you just think about like the most memorable offensive performance of Utley's career, maybe, is that 09 World Series. What did it help? He won, you know, he helped them win two games. Cliff Lee was on the mound for both of those games. Uh, you know, on the other hand, Howard was terrible, and Utley couldn't overcome a slump, slumping Howard uh, in the two most disappointing series of the run, the 2009 World Series and the 2011 NLDS, where Utley just hit the cover off the ball and it did not matter. How, when Howard hit, they won. Everything else was just extra. Uh, I love all these effing guys. Uh, wouldn't trade any of them, except Adam Eaton and maybe third base coach Steve Smith. Legitimately hated them, booed them at the parade. That's neither here nor there. Really, what it is is like, I, I can give you numbers, I can give you how I feel about things, but it really just comes down to the fear Ryan Howard put in opposing pitchers made everybody else better. You did not want to put Chase Utley on base, so you had to throw him a fastball. Chase Utley can hit a fucking fastball. He's got a real quick swing. I know he was up there looking for breaking balls. But when the pitcher knows if he makes a mistake, it's going 450 feet in the next at-bat, he kind of has to not pitch around the guy in front of him. You have to go after him, and that just makes everybody else better. Uh, I I think it's that, that intimidation in the middle of the lineup, more than anything. Is what um, is what really sealed the deal for them in 08 and made their offense what it was when the offense was so good. I will say, the bullpen is such an underrated piece of that run, especially in 08. Obviously, Brad Lidge, the perfect season and whatnot, but J.C. Romero, Chad Durbin, Ryan Madsen, like, underrated MVP is the bullpen as a whole. But if we're just talking about the core guys, and the core guys, it's it's Utley, it's Howard, it's Rollins, it's Hamels, and you can throw Chooch in there. I just don't see how it's not Ryan Howard. And when I really think about it, it, it's like the atmosphere he created. We remember the Mark McGuire commercial, you know, the chicks dig the long ball with, who was it, Smoltz or Glavin or Matt? I can't remember. The goddamn Braves pitchers. But, like... The Phillies went undefeated at home in the 08 playoffs. That atmosphere, that was created in large part by the specialness of Ryan Howard. And yeah, like, 
everyone expecting him to hit a home run every time he went up is obviously what leads to like memories of, oh, all he ever did was strike out, except for the hundreds of times he did hit home runs. But you thought he was going to hit one every time up, and that electricity just carried. It carried through the lineup. It took the pressure off so many other guys. Listen, I like Pat Burrell a lot. What was Pat Burrell before and after you know Ryan Howard? It helped quite a bit. Listen, Jason Wirth, we all know his career trajectory and everything, and he ended up being a hell of a ball player. And the injuries and everything slowed, but there's it. it's true. He had his best years hitting alongside Ryan Howard. It, it's just what happened, and pretty much everybody in those lineups, the same thing. I, I really think it's the atmosphere he created and the intimidation of the pitchers, more than anything, is, uh, is why Ryan Howard was the MVP. So that's my... Uh, that's. That's my take on that from a couple days ago on sports radio. I thought it was a fun topic because, man, everybody loves Chase Utley. Who fucking doesn't love Chase Utley? But to really look at it, uh, I'm going Ryan Howard. I really am. And I don't want to take anything, uh, I don't really want to take anything away from, from Utley or Rollins. I know I've been focusing on Utley, but like, man, that, that defense, forget what he did at the plate and his 07 MVP season, freaking incredible. The defense Rollins played in the middle of the infield was just un-effing believable. So I don't want to take anything away from those guys. I just think without Howard, it's more of the same from 01, 04, like 05, 06. It's more of those teams, um, I guess 05 and 06, or 06. Yeah, 05 is when Howard won the... Uh, rookie of the year. So it's like the 01 and 04 teams. They have some talent, just not that last piece that puts them over. The big piece to me is what put them over. Um, now on the other side, there was something, uh, it was NBCS uh, Philly tweeted out the other day. And it, it, I, I thought it was interesting because like I mentioned how I uh, I booed Adam Eaton and uh, third, the fucking third base coach at the Phillies parade just a second ago. And uh, they, NBCS Philly tweeted, the sports villain I hated most growing up was blank. And, you know, they just wanted everyone to reply and everything. Um, listen, obviously, you know, for me, Marty Brodeur and Dominic Hasek were, uh, were the worst because it seemed like they were stealing. If not for those guys, the Flyers win cups. Those two are actually thieves, legitimately. If I was the mayor of Philly, I'd demand... Either of them be apprehended on site. They owe me some sort of debt, some sort of restitution. Um, Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to maintain a civil society. You know, Scott Stevens knocks out Eric Lindros, what could have been. Uh, Chipper Jones and that Braves pitching staff uh, smoltz most uh, later on because of how he cried about the ballpark. I always loved how he said we'd never attract top-tier pitchers because of the park's dimensions, and then a few years later, we had the four aces. Um, but I was really trying to think about who the who the villains were when I was growing up, who I really, really hated. My thing was always getting mad at my team. You know, I really thought the other team won. My team just lost. Um, I hated Rondé Barber after the 0-2 NFC Championship game. Uh, but it became funny, really, like that game in 06 when Rondé got Donovan uh, for a couple of pick sixes. <laughs> How could you just not laugh at that point? Uh, it was admittedly a lot funnier when Westbrook seemingly bailed Donnie out with a 52-yard 
go ahead TD with less than a minute left. Uh, it quickly became less haha funny when Matt Bryant hit a 62 yard field goal uh, in that thick ass swamp air after Bruce freaking Gradkowski led a 20 yard 30 second game winning drive. Um, just, just goddamn. Where the hell was I? Um, yeah, we talked about things we just need to get over as Flyers fans on the last BSH radio on Wednesday. And as a Philadelphian and more importantly, a well adjusted 31 year old adult human being, I should just get over uh, that meaningless October football game 14 years ago and really, you know, my overall dislike for McNabb and Andy Reid. But I just can't. You know, as much as I want to make Rondé Barber or, you know, what was the guy named? Ricky Manning Jr.? I can't even remember the uh, the DB from the Carolina game. Uh, Bill Belichick. I would love to make all those guys the biggest villains. But it's, it's yeah, to me, it's still it's still McNabb and Reed. I, I blame those, like, losses on them, not on the other team. Um, I was rooting hard against the Chiefs because of Andy in the Super Bowl. But when it ended, I said, you did it. You know, you've had so many shots and dedicated your life to it, and you stuck with it. Good for you. And I respected that and kind of appreciated the moment, and I recognize all the good Reed's tenure did for the organization. But I still always just think of the way I felt after the playoff losses in Reed's tenure. That's just what I think when I see those two. Uh, Mental snapshots of the failure. I I just, it's... It's like Tom Brady bereft on the turf, but the other way around. It's me, bereft in my living room carpet, unable to understand how they've lost the same game three years in a row. Uh, And, like, that's... As a fan, you're the one left with the failures. Donovan, Andy, everybody on those teams, they made their money. Uh, They got or will get their honors, like Dalt going in the Hall of Fame. Uh, But the heartbreak is what sticks with us. We're still here. Uh, And when I say us, I mean me, but I think there are a lot of people who feel what I'm saying here because we, the fans, are rooting for the same logo long after any player stops wearing it. And they get to to move on and live the rest of their lives, but we're in this hamster wheel of still, you know, replaying these things over and over in our mind. Thank God they won that goddamn Super Bowl 52 because, dear Lord, um, yeah, I, I, I probably just need to grow up. I understand that. I just freaking, like, Donovan just tweeted something out, and I just replied, chlorophyll. Because I really just don't like that guy. Like, he bothers me on a personal level. Um, And, like, and I get to make it personal, because once you start drinking and driving, then I get to just, then I get to hate you. Because, listen, lots of people have lots of problems. Soon as your problems become my problem, I hate you. And when you endanger other people, you have become my problem. So F you, Donovan. Um, don't drink and drive. You know, go screw yourself. Just him on the football field, man. How is Donovan going to make a career out of not turning the ball over and then do it in the biggest games of his career? The biggest games in franchise history. Hang with me. I'm going to regurgitate some numbers at you for a moment. In his career, 4.4% of Donovan's pass attempts went for touchdowns and only 2.2% went for interceptions. That's a 2-to-1 touchdown-interception radio. Radio. Ratio. In the years the Eagles were going to NFC title games, McNabb threw a touchdown on 4.7% of his pass attempts and an interception on only 2%. That's considerably better than a 2-to-1 touchdown-interception ratio. 
However, in the six trophy games that McNabb started between the 01 and 08 playoffs, the five NFC titles and one Super Bowl, his touchdown and interception percentages are both four each. That's nine touchdowns, nine interceptions on 225 attempts, an even ratio. I don't care about the sample size. The idea is to be better in the small sample size. The idea is to come through in the clutch. This is the exact opposite. Uh, this is choking. This is what choking actually looks like right in front of you when a guy who, who's good at this one thing, I don't turn the ball over, I'm efficient, is one of the least efficient quarterbacks uh, when, when the lights get bright. And let's go even deeper into it. Three of those quote-unquote trophy games were at home. Donnie threw for two touchdowns, four interceptions in those friendly atmospheres. McNabb started 16 playoff games in his career as an Eagle. He threw more touchdowns than interceptions in only half of them. The thing he did best in the regular season was a true struggle for him in the biggest games. That is the definition of choking, and that's why he's a villain to me. He actually cost us those games because of his inability to step up in the moment. That's I don't blame Rondé Barber. I don't blame whatever the dude's name was, Ricky Manning Jr., or whoever fell on him in that Carolina game, that cheap shot he took. I just blame the Eagles for not being able to get it done, and he's the number one culprit. Other guys, you know, there was Bobby Abreu, there was Scott Rowland. They just didn't get us, or we didn't go out of our way to get them. I don't know about necessarily villains. Well, yeah, I'd call them villains. I don't know, Bobby getting traded kind of led directly to winning, so I guess you couldn't even call him a villain, but Scott Rowland was just a douchebag. Uh, that's that's a, the personality of this city. We don't get along with all of our stars. Is it great? No, but it's who we are. And uh, there's nothing you can do about that. We ain't changing. You have to accommodate us. Like I said, we were here before you. We'll be here long after you. Deal with us or go somewhere else. Uh, you know, there are disappointments like Alexander Daig, uh, Pat Falloon. Uh, I <laughs> I had to be Falloon when we played hockey as little kids. I didn't realize the older guys were making fun of me until years later. Uh, obviously, Chris Gratton, you know all. He's a he's a villain to me just because he changed his number and then he got traded after I got my Chris Gratton jersey. Uh, so that was a real pain in the dick. But, yeah, I, I just, like, those are guys I hold grudges against. They are villains to me. It's, it's very rarely the other team. It's always the people who let me down personally. Uh, and watching, uh, it's, I also, because we are so often disappointed, because, you know, like, I'm almost 32 years old, I've seen two champ, two true championships, obviously, a couple Calder Cups, the soul of one, maybe the kicks did some shit, you know, the wings are like a dynasty, or were in their first incarnation at least, but... I have always appreciated greatness because of how badly I'd love to see my teams do it. And watching the Michael Jordan doc, uh, The Last Dance on ESPN these last few weeks, reminded me something uh, an, old, an old producer at WIP named Josh Winters once said to me. He's a little older than me, and he says he regretted uh, hating Michael Jordan because he wasn't able to enjoy it. And now he looks back and he's like, Shit, that was, like, probably the best thing I'm ever going to see. And I didn't appreciate it at the time, and he regretted that. So, thinking about that, watching the documentary, it, like, is Sidney Crosby, like, a villain in Philadelphia sports? I guess you could call him that. But it's really, like, I, I don't hate him 
because the Penguins won the draft lottery. Uh, he's a problem in my life because of the Penguins, not because of him. Do I hate the Penguins? Yes, obviously. Fuck the Penguins. But uh, it's it's I don't want to I don't want to miss out on seeing Crosby, who might end up being the best player I ever see. I don't want to miss out on appreciating his greatness because of how badly I hate the team he plays for and how he's a pain in my ass personally because he beats the Flyers. Um, like, it, it's, it's, it's really just the Penguins. I wouldn't... It, it, I, like, I hate their name. There ain't no Penguins in Pittsburgh. Do they even have a zoo? I had to go to the fucking Warhol Museum to find a cup of coffee there. I hate that they've had a pair of all-time great duos in my lifetime. But I enjoy Crosby for what he is, one of the best players I'll ever get to see play the game. Oh, I'll chant Crosby sucks. Uh, but it's in full recognition of something Barry Bonds once said, and I didn't double-check this exact quote, so I'm sorry if I fuck it up. But basically, if you've got 40,000 people screaming that you suck, you must be pretty damn good. And I, that's sort of... You know, treating him as the villain in the moment, obviously, we're going to do that, we're at the games, we're rooting for the Flyers, we're trying to do what we do, but, you know, when I see, just from an outside perspective, a guy as good as Crosby, when I see Brady's Patriots or the Golden State Warriors, I want to see them win as much as possible because it's greatness, I want to soak up that greatness. Like, maybe my biggest... Non-Philly disappointment is not getting to see the Pats go undefeated just because I want to see in my lifetime a, a team go 19-0. I think that would be freaking awesome to see. Uh, and obviously it had to be the fucking Giants too. But I just thought that it would be so cool to see something like that. And how awesome is it when somebody takes those teams down? Kawhi Leonard was became the new clutch king uh, after beating the Sixers with that buzzer beater and then taking down an admittedly injured Golden State team. I treasure both championships equally, but come on, beating the Patriots was just sweeter than beating the Tampa Bay Devil Rays. They were just the Rays, I think, at that point, but you know what I'm saying. Like, it's the Rays. When they asked him after the NLCS wrapped up, and it's still the Red Sox and the Rays and the ALCS. Charlie Manuel said, we want the nation. And I popped so hard for that because I wanted to take down the Red Sox too. Give me that team. And if they beat you, well, that's who they are. They're the Yankees. They're the Red Sox. If you beat them, yeah, you just beat the freaking Bill Belichick, Tom Brady Patriots. How awesome is that? And that's, I want to be the team that takes them down. And if, I, if it can't be my team, I'd like to see them continue their greatness for as long as possible because we know in sports things stop real, real fast. It's, it's not always a... Uh... It never lasts as long as you think it's going to. That's what she said. Uh, <laughs> so I asked for some Twitter questions from the... Uh, I just asked for some, you know, mailbag questions to wrap up this show. Didn't know how long I was going to go. Actually, like, wrote out... I'm sure you can tell I'm reading a little bit here, and I, I rarely do that. I When I do the live post games and stuff, it's, it's, you know, all improv. I'm talking to an audience. This... I'm talking to myself, so I kind of had a little... A little outline, a little script that I looked uh, to for some guidance on this one. Didn't really know how long the show was going to go. So I asked for some Twitter questions, and as always, Twitter came through. Uh, first question is from Justin Klug, friend of the show. Uh, if you had to use, he asked, if you had to use three Flyers games as an introduction into Flyers fandom, 
what would be your curriculum? And I like this because it's not like he's asking not just what the games would be, but like what criteria would I use? How would I really define Flyers fandom? In using the word curriculum, I assume I'm teaching like uh, I'm teaching a course on this. It's not just like oh hey check this out and you're Flyers fan. Like this is what it is to be a Flyers fan. So my criteria would just be heartbreaking losses, like individual performances that didn't that you know didn't end up being you know the Folesian heroics we thought they would be at the time. Um, uh, I'd want to play them. I'd want to play for someone who wanted to know what it is to be a Flyers fan. Uh, like a series of games to give them the proper tone, like Game Six and then Game Seven versus Tampa in '04. Uh, you know the the absolute joy of tying the series up at three. Those amazing efforts, uh, Primo and Gagne getting it done, uh, forcing the Game Seven, and then show them Game Seven. And it was like, yeah, remember how excited we were two days ago? This team's completely out of gas, and um, it's over. The run is over. Like I want to show Game Seven versus Boston in 2010, and then Game Six versus Chicago that same year. And then fast forward to game four against Boston in 2011, and then a clip of like Chara lifting the cup, just so you get the full the full effect of this thing. They came all the way back from down 3-0 in the series, a historic comeback to then have you know an overtime scored an overtime goal scored on them by a player who it was kind of presumed was going to end up a Philadelphia Flyer uh, as the first overall pick a few years earlier. Didn't work out that way. Flyers got the second pick. The guy who goes first scores that cup-winning goal against them. And then the team that they had that historic run against uh, embarrasses the shit out of them the following year um, and then go on to win the cup. And then the Flyers blow up the team that had gone to the cup final just a year before. So like that, that sort of like, series of events is what I would want to show. Like, Couturier scoring the hat trick and picking up a couple of assists, too. On the tour in MCL, only for the Pens to score five consecutive goals to eliminate the Flyers in Game 6 in 2018. Like, that's a good one. Um, you know, because that's something like that with Couturier because it seems so... It's so much like um, just the history of the Flyers. Like, they have a pair of losing effort con Smythes uh, with Reggie Leach in 76 and Ron Hextall in 87. You know, Keith Primo's 2004, Danny Briere's whole tenure is the essence of Flyers fandom, having every reason to believe things should go well this time just to have it all go for naught. Like, Briere, you know, Mr. Clutch, even with that guy, the guy who gets it done in crunch time, the Flyers weren't able to actually get it done. Uh, that said, if I wanted to try to sell someone on becoming a new Flyers fan, I would say screw the past. Dive all in from here on out. Pledge your soul to the orange and black, and I don't need you to pass some kind of litmus test. Forget all the heartbreak. This team is fun and good right now. Dive in head first. And welcome to the Philadelphia Flyers. But if you wanted to take my course on what it is to be, to have been a fan, um, yeah, uh, heartbreak and uh, missed, missed opportunity, disappointment, That's that would be my curriculum. All right. Keith Johnson, uh, Keith Johnston, at Spectrum underscore Philly, he asks, can we rank stadium food since the cheesesteak discussion? And we did that on uh, Wednesday's BSH Radio. We had a whole cheesesteak thing because on BroadStreetHockey.com, 
uh, Jay Polinski ranked the city's cheesesteaks, and I took great offense to it because Pat's is actually good. And if you don't think so, you haven't been there in a while. So you, you tell me you never go there because it's a tourist trap, so you don't actually know if it's good or not. So what's your opinion here? Um, but since, you know, that was, it was a fun discussion. It's always fun to talk cheesesteaks because people get so passionate about it. And guess what, fam? They're all exactly the same. They all taste exactly the same. It's, it's, it's all the same shit. It's, it's meat. It's cheese. It's bread. If they're using good bread, uh, it, it's probably pretty good because those are awesome combinations. Throw some onions on there, maybe some cherry peppers. Fucking delicious. But they're all exactly the same. All right, so Keith Johnson, Keith Johnston, uh, can we rank stadium food since the cheesesteak discussion uh, was great? Uh, like, he wants to know best things at the link, Citizens Bank Park, the center. Um, let's just yell about food, Keith says. Nothing will ever beat the Schmitter. That's my take. Uh, I, I know they still have it at the link, at least outside in the plaza. Uh, but in that back corner of left field, the Citizens Bank, it was the best. I used to put two of them away. Uh, me and my buddy Sam, who I sat next to for all of, uh, for all of 2008, uh, that was our thing, man. We'd get two Schmitters apiece. He'd buy me some beers. It was a good time. Uh, so the Schmitter, number one all-time stadium food in this town. But I gotta say, I'm pretty simple. Uh, I'll try everything, but at a hockey game, like, I just, give me the nachos, man. Give me the chips, give me the cheese, give me the salsa, Throw some uh, jalapenos on there. Perfect. Give me a sausage and peppers on a cold day at the link. Uh, I I just think that's great. It's warm. You need both hands to eat it. Keep your hands warm. Um, I like the tenders and fries. I always enjoy the tenders and fries. Uh, Buffalo cutlets from sandwiches. uh, Buffalo cutlet sandwiches from Chickies. Always good. Um, Freaking love their buffalo cutlets. I always want ice cream or something different, but most of the time I just drink... Um, grab a chicken sandwich at Wawa, eat it in the parking lot for a base, then start hammering the Millers. That's really how I look at the stadium food. But, yeah, nothing nothing beats the Schmitter. Absolutely not. Hot dogs only on Dollar Dog Day. I don't like Citizens Bank's hot dogs, but if they're a dollar, I'm eating nine of them. That's just the way she goes. All right. Steve Appleman. Which flyers deserve to have their numbers retired that don't? All right. Well, we we know that there's like a criteria. You have to have won a championship or be in the Hall of Fame. Um, that just kind of that just kind of what the Flyers have done. And on the surface, I hate the idea of delegating your delegating your franchise's history uh, to the whims of sports writers. Uh, so the hard and fast only Hall of Famers get their numbers retired rule is is dumb to me. But the Flyers have set a precedent of, of Stanley Cup champion and or Hall of Famer, and I do think a non-Hall of Fame player can have his number retired, but you need to do some great stuff for the, uh, for the organization, like win a championship. Um, like if Giroux doesn't get in on the first ballot, but retires one or two in every statistic, how long should the Flyers wait to retire the number uh, you know, of one of their most statistically accomplished players and likely longest tenured captain simply because, oh, yeah, well, the sports writers haven't voted him into the Hall of Fame yet, so I guess he can't have his number retired. Like, that's that's asinine. Um, like, there's a case to be made for John LeClaire, I suppose. Uh, Recky is, you know, in the Hall of Fame and scored 203 more points here than he did anywhere else. 
Uh, but he won cups in Pittsburgh, Carolina, and Boston. He basically circled around us with his championship. He surrounded Philadelphia with cups. So, like, he's just not ours. I don't think it makes sense to retire his number. Uh, so, was, of everybody who's ever worn a Flyers uniform, I'd say the number most deserving to next hang from the rafters, joining 1, 2, 4, 7, 16, and 88, should be Jeru's 28. You know, he's second in franchise he's second in franchise history and assists behind Clark. Uh, substantially. There's two hundred and ninety-four helpers between uh, between them at one and two. Uh, he's fourth in points at eight fifteen. Uh, he'll only need a very nice sixty-nine points to move ahead of Bill Barber for second. He'll only be trailing Clark by three hundred and twenty-six points at that point. Jesus Christ, Bobby Clark was freaking incredible. Uh, he's going to need to play a while longer to get into second place in goals for this team, but he's already tenth all time. And if he puts up at least twenty-one goals, uh, a number he has reached in three of his last four years, he'll be in at least eighth place ahead of Lindros when his current contract expires after twenty twenty-one twenty-two. And you have to believe this organization is going to do whatever they can to uh, to keep him around, and I can't imagine he'd want to go anywhere else. Uh, it's the, the Whenever retired numbers come up, the issue of Pelly Lindbergh always comes up because his 31 is technically out of circulation, although it's not officially retired. Uh, it seems like kind of too late to do the full ceremony and make it official now. And he'd be the only player with a, with a retired number to neither win a cup nor be voted in the Hall of Fame. And I gotta tell you, I just think it's a cool piece of trivia. Like it's a, it has a certain mystique that his number isn't retired, but it is. So I think that's kind of cool. So yeah, I, there are some guys who you can make a case for um, to have their numbers retired. But I think the next guy who should get the honor is is Claude Giroux. He's, he, I mean. He's the best player to play in this city for for a very long time, and I think he's going to be here a while longer. I can't imagine. Uh, I just I don't want to like go back to the seventies and start being like, well. Actually, you know, he should have his just to like have theme nights and have all that sorts of shit. That's that's what bad organizations do, and I think the Flyers can afford to keep it. Like a uh, an exclusive club, and Giroux should be the next one whenever he hangs him up to join that club. All right, finally, at Photo Dave, our friend uh, David Manning, he asks, is reopening and restarting everything uh, too soon? Are we condemning ourselves to a prolonged suffering? All I can say, Dave, is fuck if I know. I could really go for some live music at La Costa right now. And that's all I'm thinking. Like, I want the world to get back to normal. Is it too soon? It could be. Could this be a bad idea? Yeah, absolutely it could be. But I don't blame anyone for, like, being done with this and just wanting to move on. Um, you got to be smart still. You got you to gotta take precautions. We have to protect the most vulnerable amongst us. Absolutely. But I don't blame anyone for just being like, I'm, I, you know. I ain't getting sick. I understand. It's not about you. It's about everyone else. We got to protect people. This sucks. But I, I think, you know, everyone's doing a decent enough job. At least, you know, most people doing a decent enough job of getting through this. But can't say it doesn't suck. Like, I miss my friends. I miss going out. I miss having a good time. And I, I, I hate talking on the phone. I hate FaceTime. I hate Zoom. This is like my worst nightmare. <laughs> like, I'd rather be on a deserted island and just be alone. Then have to talk on the phone every day. <laughs> That's not true. But I, I just, I hate it. I think 
It sucks. Uh, I have no idea what the right course of action is. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a doctor. Um, but I don't blame anyone for getting a little stir crazy right now. I mean, I've been talking to myself about, you know, historical sports topics for the last 45 fucking minutes. So it's not like, uh, it's not like I don't sympathize a bit, uh, people getting bored and everything. Yeah. Especially with summer coming, weather's getting nice. Like I would love to just go to the carousel and, uh, you know, drink daiquiris and land sharks. That's that's how I'm feeling. I, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I don't know if it's too soon. It probably is. We're not that smart as a people, you know, as a whole. We're not the smartest group. Uh, so getting things started now when they're just starting to die down is probably a bad idea, but I don't I don't fucking know, man. I don't know. All right, so that's a great way to end. I don't know. The, the story of Bill Matz. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for hanging out. I hope you enjoyed hearing me drone on for like 45 minutes. That was... Uh, that was a fun time. I was going to try not to curse and use this show as like a solo demo, but, you know, I can just edit it, right? Yeah, I'll, I'll do that. I'll censor it. No, I'm not going to do that. I mean, if I submit it somewhere as a demo, I get it wasn't good enough anyway. Well, let me know what you think. If you enjoyed this, maybe I'll do more solo shows. Maybe I'll do live Q&As on the Facebook or Twitch or something. Kind of get back to the, uh, kind of get back to the post-game format. Get back in the swing of that, uh, perhaps. Maybe just keep up doing, uh, yelling about sports and its traditional... Me yelling at Steph or Charlie or Kelly uh, format. I don't know. I'm just spitballing here. I'm, I'm My outline's now empty, and I'm droning on once again. Uh, but thanks for hanging out. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, man, hit that subscribe button. Just search Broad Street Hockey wherever there are podcasts, and you will find this one. Hit subscribe. Leave us great reviews, five stars, kind words, all that stuff helps us keep the show going, helps us keep the show profitable, so we can continue to bring it to you uh, as we do. I hope you enjoyed this one. My name is Bill Matz. Have a great week, everybody.